Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hiya, champ. How was your day at school? The Fantastic Geek, Ant-Man and the Wasp review is brought to you by Truth Serum. There's no such thing. Yes, there is. <laughs> well, Pete, here we are recording on the Sunday after Ant-Man and the Wasp has come out. Uh, it uh, being crowned as the box office champion with uh, $76 million of, uh, of uh, domestic uh, box office take. That's uh, with another 85 foreign off to a very, very healthy $161 million, particularly when you figure this is a slightly less expensive movie when it comes to comic books, I believe in the 125 range. So not your, not your 250 to $300 million. So already making the money, asterisk, there's still the cost for uh, uh, advertising and all that. But Hollywood people don't care about that. This is making money. Yes. However, there seems to be some fan consternation that it's not so massive a hit at this point. Can we calm down a little bit on that? Yeah. I mean, it opened on Friday, which, you know, Friday includes all the Thursday dates, which increasingly there's more and more Thursday showings of, uh, of these movies. Uh, side note, Pete, there's a, uh, I believe it's the the new Hotel Transylvania. It's Thursday, first Thursday preview in our area is at Thursday at 6 p.m. That's basically like a whole evening, but I digress. Um, it was uh, it was on pace to do the same as Doctor Strange. It had, they had the same, similar Friday numbers, so people were thinking more of an $85 million opening weekend for uh, Doctor Strange. and no, That was for Doctor Strange, would be mirrored for Ant-Man. Ended up coming in at 76. To me, I'm a little surprised that it wilted a tiny bit, but we're talking a difference of $9 million here, again, on a less expensive movie than, you know, than an Avengers. We go, oh my goodness, this fell short of expectations. Yeah, I, I don't think we can view it as a, a failure or even falling short. I mean, this is a film that, as the top 10 for the year is currently constructed uh, in terms of box office take, will easily fit in there with the first two for the year being Black Panther at almost $700 million and Avengers Infinity War at 675 So let's calm down a little bit on just how much they need to make in the first six months and days of the year. <laughs> Yeah, and just looking at the the numbers between uh, Ant-Man and uh, Doctor Strange just a little bit more, basically you're talking the difference was how well both movies did on Saturday. Very similar Fridays, very similar Sundays within $3 million on the Sunday. So whatever, for whatever reason, nine, $8 million worth of people went to see it less on Saturday. Again, we're, we're talking... Not a lot of money here, particularly when it's, uh, you know, not my money. It's Disney money. And it'll remain healthy for some time. There's a lot of other big films still out. Uh, this one, The weekend, it was, you know, the most notable new release. And it's it's going to be just fine. Yeah, I don't think anybody was expecting, kind of in retrospect, expecting Incredibles 2 and Jurassic World 2 to have the oomph that they have had. So... Hey, you know, it's Ant-Man and Incredibles in the one-two slot. <laughs> Life is still pretty good all around. And then even, you know, for Jurassic World, doing boffo box office business, as they say. Pete, everywhere in Hollywood, printing money like it's raining, except in Hollywood it isn't because they have like a 110-degree heat wave. But I digress. Yes, and don't leave out that uh, creative Hollywood accounting. Indeed. With that, Pete, should we jump into the debrief? Absolutely. When we catch you up on what went down, how about a prologue, Matt? Some of which we've seen before, the rest we haven't. The de-aging mission in which Janet Van Dyne died, right? Well, <laughs> indeed, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, a solid prologue. Uh, I think, as you said, much of it, uh, information that we've seen before i kind of had wondered if maybe this was a scene clearly written for ant-man and the wasp uh at least as presented i know some of the footage may have been from the first film but 
visited here in the script for this film, I had wondered if maybe the hopes was that this would that this scene would appear at the end of another Marvel movie, and maybe they weren't sure which one that would be because uh, it felt a little rehashy. But to be fair, this is the movie where they go fix the person who it turned out was missing in the first one, so it's all good. I particularly enjoyed how we were treated to uh, Michael Douglas as we have been before, you know, with the de-aging technology, but Michelle Pfeiffer with that technology as well. A little heavy on the feathered hair, but you know what? It, it, it worked despite the seeming inaccuracy of the time frame. This de-aging software that is somewhere under the Disney umbrella, I, I must confess, I don't know whether it's an Industrial Light and Magic product or something else in-house, but something that I think Disney first was widely uh, tooling with their, uh, their version of the technology. Of course, it goes all the way back to X-Men 3 and all that as a concept. But uh, I think back to uh, Tron Legacy that, I think we can widely agree that was not an effective outing of that no. type of software. Fast forward to, you know, 2018. Now, I mean, granted, it helps, I think, that for many people, myself included, Michelle Pfeiffer has not remained at the forefront of Hollywood for all these years since, say, you know, a Batman Returns or something like that. But I 100% bought that that was her of course i was aware like this is a flashback scene and they're deploying the technology and and right. you know she does not look like she did back in batman returns but i did not see any unca uncanny valley moments at all and i was just shocked and i'd say for michael douglas it was 95 percent the case as well perhaps my eyes are are a bit sharper just because you know he has remained in the public eye a bit more plus i saw him in the last movie plus you know we're going to be comparing him to modern day michael douglas soon enough uh but the michelle pfeiffer stuff in particular just not a day has gone by since you know 25 30 years ago whatever they were going for there's no reason to believe that a child seeing this would not believe that woman to be the dh the younger version maybe even another actress matt of the actress that shows up later as uh, Janet once they rescue her. So kudos on that effect leads us into Scott in his waning days here of house arrest. Uh, love the early interaction with him and Cassie uh, having to be creative in the home in which he's stuck under house arrest with the ant tunnels and the little adventure very creative that they go on it was and i think if there's one quibble i have for this film for, for this film it's that in the first third here there's a lot of kind of writerly stuff like let's make it clear what the situation is which i get which you need to do i'm not being critical of it uh it just felt slightly less organic than the first film uh, in that kind of expositional regard. And we get some of that here, again, nonetheless presented in a really enchanting and delightful way with the homemade ant tunnel and with this low, low, low-fi version of Ant-Man saving the day and all that he can do. Plus, you get Cassie in there. She wants to be the sidekick. That's going to come back in the story later. And uh, uh, I so. think it's going to come back in the story going forward. Ooh. Well... <laughs> Goodness knows, Pete, they'll need somebody, but we'll get to that when we, when we get to the you know, after the end portion. Pete, tell us a bit more as, uh, as we get to know Wasp proper in this uh, episode, in this movie. Obviously, the tease at the end of the first film, really mouthwatering that we were going to get the Wasp, an OG Avenger from the comics. And all we got was the, the suit. So these three years gone by and to finally get Evangeline Lilly in her glory in this uh, OG comic book character to save the day, Matt, for an imprisoned white male. Yes, and this the first clue that uh, though the title is Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think there's a case to be made that by and large, this movie is the Wasp and Ant-Man or mm -hmm. the Wasp and Ant-Man Jr. and Ant-Man Sr. Um, <laughs> Ant-Man Jr. from the school scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she's there to uh, she's there to 
to really kickstart things. And immediately we get a lot of the, uh, you know, we get some of the whistles and bells of, of her as, uh, you know, in, in the small size and whatnot. But Pete, I don't want to leave his house just yet. We, of course, get Margaret Lang, the, uh, the ex-wife, and then Jim Paxton, whose name I must confess I had to look up on Jim Paxton there. But the Judy Greer character, the Bobby Cannavale character, Pete, you can't necessarily fit everybody into a script for a sequel the way you could with the first one. And I was glad to see Cannavale and Greer both back, albeit in much smaller roles. It's a sequel. I feel like they have to be in it. Was the story about them in any large degree? No, that's why they appear in like three short scenes, one of which is a FaceTime. Yeah, thank goodness we got ex-wife mom and cop husband back on our big screen there. I kid, although uh, Judy Greer is one of my least favorite actresses, unless when she's on Arrested Development. But they provide what they need to. It's a springboard to the story about Scott that he's repaired his relationship with the ex-husband, the ex-husband's even proud of the, you know, seeming development that Scott has made since he's been under house arrest since the events of Captain America Civil War. We know, of course, he's going to get pulled back into all sorts of other hijinks. Trying to avoid the hijinks is Luis, who, of course, has gone legit with the security company XCON. Uh, I would say, too, that the notion of XCON, that is a story device to also let us uh, check in with Dave, played by your favorite Pete T.I., as well as uh, Kurt, uh, played by David Dasmalchian. And, you know, it's nice to get the crew back together. I think that they use Dave and Kurt just the right amount. Yes. Um, Luis gets more screen time, probably because, I don't know, he's Michael Pena and he deserves it. Yeah. Um, but also there too, I think it was, it was a novel way to make sure that they're at, that they're involved in a story that really is moving away from them. The banter, uh, the humor between him and Scott and the other two guys, uh, down to the, uh, the, the folksy devil character that, uh, you know, the, the Russian uh, guy brings up and, and how that pays off several times throughout the film. Just really, really light stuff. We don't we don't tend to get that with all the heaviness that's gone on, Matt. Uh, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War. It's it's been a while. And, and this one and Guardians of the Galaxy as franchises really stand apart in their ability to to dig in on the humor. I'm not saying those other films aren't humorous at times. Of course they are, but they can really embrace it here. Yeah. And I think that though this is not doing the, the, (laughs) the box office that the other two Marvel releases this year have done each crossing a billion dollars, uh, in black Panther and in Avengers, I think that the long-term health of Marvel, you look to an Ant-Man for that, not just, you know, oh, I think Ant-Man is going to be a character still on the screen 10 years from now where maybe an Iron Man isn't or something like that, uh, although that could be the case. But, you know, just this is a this is a change in direction compared to the other ones, and that's what I think prevents the audience from feeling that things are stale. I think probably at Disney there's much consternation what exactly went on with solo and and what does that mean and what does that mean for other star wars product projects moving forward uh, and i don't know we can save that for a oh no the star wars is falling apart podcast yeah, but it's it's not <laughs> just by way of comparison this doesn't need to be as big a hit as the others if the audience walks away from it going hey i had some laughs and there were some adventures and there was like a giant salt shaker and little you know hot wheels cars and it feels different enough, so the big fear of comic book movie fatigue that will sink the whole the whole genre, you know, that fear is forestalled another movie and another movie because this is another movie compared to the other ones. I mean, if they were to have their druthers, given the success of the last two films financially, to back this one up t- to say that Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok area of you know, November, uh, maybe they would have, but this was around the time that, uh, the original Ant-Man debuted. It was definitely a summer movie. Um, so they'd had success with this before 
And again, like you're saying, they don't need this to carry the torch. Is it a little too soon after Avengers? I, I would argue perhaps. Now you've got eight months until we catch up with Captain Marvel in uh, in May of 2019. We still haven't seen any live footage from that. We don't have a title yet for the fourth Avengers film. And as we were talking when we went to see the film and then went out to grab something to eat uh, afterward, Marvel's being very deliberate for concerns of both brand recognition and brand confusion. And that's why I think there's a certain level of sense where just within the Marvel bubble, it, it does work that Ant-Man has come out now, you know, for the more voracious fans, the question leading into this movie much and much blog ink was spilled. How will this, how will this, you know, exist story-wise in the shadow of what mm -hmm. happened at the end of Infinity War? And for them to rather masterfully sidestep that the entire body of the movie, and we'll we'll get to that scene when we get to it, but for them to basically just say, sit back, enjoy your popcorn, enjoy some laughs, there's big giant ants, there's a ghost, there's the quantum realm, et cetera, et cetera. Then to say, oh, by the way, before you leave the theater, here's where we're at in the timeline, punching the gut give you a yuck and a punch in the gut one final time before you know things are truly over but now to say now don't worry about marvel anymore for the rest of this calendar year that's the that's going to let the hunger build particularly yes. when average fan does not know what you what i what a lot of the listeners know which is start the countdown till captain marvel it's kind of like wait is there another one coming out let me check youtube trailers uh i mean nothing. matt you had the wrong month when i talked to you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was coming out in February in the uh, in the the Black Panther and Deadpool one time slot. Uh, so all the more reason where now it's kind of like you know again, how do you forestall? Oh man, people are sick of these movies. Now we're gonna have now, now you have to wait. And does it also help you know that the Disney schedule in the in the the fall and winter is you know let's say between September and Christmas between. October and Christmas is super packed with other stuff. Okay, yeah, that's a. That, I don't know if that was a scheduling concern. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Some of these movies are scheduled, you know, three, four, or five years out in advance. And that's just it. They they hit the calendar with Ant Man, and then it was like, all right, that's when the film comes out. Not knowing, I mean, Black Panther was always the wild card. The in Avengers: Infinity War, not so much. Um, and that Black Panther is the 2018 leader in terms of box office to this point, I think is a tremendous surprise to a lot of people. I mean, D domestic, yes. Worldwide, no. But yes. Yes. Again, ah, that we should have such problems as, right. you know, wow, Black Panther was more popular in the United States than the rest of the Avengers. Okay, time to time to let that be a guiding factor and probably also factors maybe that doesn't factor into, but it's it's lucky that for obvious reasons, because of Infinity War, there's not a three, four year map of this is when this sequel comes out and this sequel and this sequel, because now there's if you need to adjust the filming of the right. secret scene at the end of Homecoming Two uh, you can or far but, from home as it's now been far revealed. from home, you know, <laughs> and to include Black Panther because you've decided to swap him out with blah 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 in in, in the setup for Avengers, you know, 62. It all it all works, you have that flexibility built in. But Pete, back to Ant Man, we've gone big MCU, take us as small as it goes into the quantum realm. Yeah, I thought a really effective way to push the the story forward into overdrive this quantum entanglement that scott has with janet as a result of his visitation to the quantum realm her being trapped there and then the reveal that well uh hank and hope had activated the tunnel and for a split second there was contact and the kind of uh message in a bottle that came via the dream yeah i mean again there's a little bit of a writerly fingerprint there but to say hey this movie actually was jump-started by last movie i mean what do you want it's ant-man 2 man of course it should tie together and of course you should see the first ant-man before ant-man and the wasp uh so no no harm there and a fun bit of business 
particularly with, with the first movie, it was like the brand new technology and there was the, the, the novel nature of ensmalling and embiggening things. And here we have Hank and Hope with the entire lab building as mm -hmm. a MacGuffin of sorts. And when you need it to fit into the back of a van, you can. When you need it to be, you know, uh, downtown at full size, it's there as well. Yeah, and I like the way they flip things around for the narrative in this film. Still a heist movie, but now the bad guys stealing the thing that the good guys shouldn't be in possession of because it's illegal. Yeah, and it's also a handy way for there just to be that, you know, oh no, the thing. I mean, as mentioned, the MacGuffin, but it, you know, for the entire lab to be in play where something that you can holding two hands and put on a uh, on a ferry or on the back of a motorcycle or in a car it's uh you know i'll, I'll take back some of my finger wagging from a moment ago it's a novel bit of writing there to make mm -hmm. that happen and of course pete they're all over san francisco which you were at last summer yes which was tremendously satisfying for me that i went to so many of these locations uh mere woods which is where uh you have um the Redwoods National Forests uh, went to see that, and that's the first place where they stash the lab. Um, and then during the the chase through the streets of San Francisco, you get down to Fisherman's Wharf. I mean, my only disappointment there is they didn't hook the the turn there and, and go see the seals and somehow work them into maybe eating the ants instead of the seagulls. And then you saw, you know, my favorite and Matt's Alcatraz. Um, particularly the the ferry out to Alcatraz that uh, Goggins character uh, gets on and uh, Scott has to uh, embiggen himself to take the lab back. And I mean, worth mentioning too, Goggins character of Sonny Birch. I like that we, you know, I like that we have him there and we'll of course talk We'll talk villainous people in a little bit, but an argument to be made, he's not a, he's no, no worse than any of the other villains and the villains in this movie, not that villainous either, but we'll get there. When we get there, Pete from the villains. Let's talk our hero though. Everybody's hero, Stan Lee, who gets his cameo. Uh, he had, what, what was it? He partied in the sixties, but now he's paying for it. <laughs> now he's paying for it. Yeah. The sixties were fun, but now he's paying for it. it was great. Um, that we have to have an argument and Matt, maybe we'll have a special given that this is the 20th Marvel cinematic universe film. Maybe we will, and it's going to be eight months until we're, we're back for captain Marvel. Maybe we'll have a special Marvel, a cinematic universe, uh, podcast, uh, by fantastic geek of all the, uh, Stan Lee cameos and, uh, ranking them. Oh, that, do, that does sound fun. I mean, <laughs> As you say, no, no MCU, no, or no MCU films for the rest of the calendar year, no MCU on broadcast TV for the rest of the year. So, uh, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. We, of course, Pete can't wrap up going over the plot here by, uh, by not mentioning that, uh, people don't make it out of the end of this movie when all is said and done. Well, that you get, uh, Ava. And that you get Bill Foster, uh, who are able to to walk away, and you know they're essentially in in play for whatever other films, whether it's Ant Man or the Fourth Avengers or anything after that, uh, potentially even TV with her Shield background, both of their Shield backgrounds, um, right? Everybody lives, and then we get that tag scene with the uh, quantum tunnel in the back of the van and they send Scott in to get the healing particles. And yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't want to steal your moment, your uh, summation of the reaction that we witnessed. Yeah. We saw it opening night on Thursday and I would say to a three quarters filled, maybe 80, 90% filled house. And the cry in pain from the audience as as the ash was revealed i've only ever heard that once before and that was during avengers uh and i mean look it was a good moment in that i think as i've continued to say to you pete off mic i think the people have cognitive dissonance clearly when it comes to all those deaths not just nant man but in in uh avengers as well you know in your head that there's going to be some fix 
in part Wait, because... they're going to bring Black Panther back? How? Whatever it is, there's a fix on the way, if only because they've now named the sequel the name of the spider-man sequel and so on and so forth um although is there some fanboy argument to be made okay that with this weirdo timeline thing you know the eight years later that the sequel comes out take place maybe let's cool it on that though you know that they're not shutting down the mcu you know with with this movie uh and everything else everything on the cliffhanger but in your heart, everybody buys it, and everybody buys it short term, and they're they're kind of reveling in the pain, and just to hear that, to hear the pain in people, <laughs> not even anger, because I think yeah. at a certain point, look, oh, like, just, yeah, like okay. you just took away the you took away the family. They they, they didn't get <laughs> the to be odds a family. The whole family uh, went. The whole, I mean, at least they're united now, and that they're they're gone together. Um, but yeah, this after Janet mentions particularly um, the the concept to Scott of watching out while he's getting the healing particles that he not get lost in time. Which, I mean, and look, I'm really judicious about spoilers. And if you don't want to get a minor thing that's already been out there on social media, if you only get that spoiled, you know, skip ahead 30 seconds. But the footage from the next Avengers movie that appears to be back at the battle of New York plus Ant-Man is around. I mean, the notion of some kind of time, something is out there. Um, and was it conspicuous that they're setting it up? I mean, of course it's a little conspicuous. This is the last, this is probably the last, not even probably, this is the last movie to take place in the 2018 timeline for the MCU that has been you know that has been this ongoing timeline which is to say captain marvel most you know all wink wink except for i'm sure a post-credit scene or two uh is going to take place in the 1990s so aside from whatever goodies they give us to propel us to the next avengers movie you know, this is it so of course they're going to give us a little push off at the end and you know it's exciting stuff all the way around Yet people continue to leave, Matt. Less, though. Not, less each time. Less each time, but, you know, so we get the heavy one. Um, and the, the only, I, I loved it, the only caveat I'll give it is that the dust seemed a little different in this film than in Avengers. And it's a super minor quibble. Uh, and I have a possible he, theory for that. The background is so. I was just going to say it's very, very light on the rooftop there. Uh, so I, I again, I, I will see you on that. And it's two different films, so it, it's OK. You're not a direct comparison. So there we go. Um, we get the ha ha at the end of the ant that was uh, Scott's doppelganger with the ankle bracelet playing the drums there but even more tantalizingly so you've got the emergency broadcasting system going on the tv there's nobody else there it's funny and when you consider the length of time i mean was the last time we had eight months between these films and even then when you consider it'll be even longer until we return to around the same time frame and this is how they're leaving it and it's been relatively quiet in terms of uh, relatively it's been very quiet in terms of official communication. I mean, the Russos took to Twitter the other day. Somebody had asked them, did Scott survive Thanos's snap by virtue of being inside the quantum realm when it occurred or was it luck? And their answer was luck. Which that's an answer that I like because, uh, you know, again, the, the, the couple of set pictures I've seen, you know, he, no surprise that Ant-Man who was not in, uh, the last Avengers movie is going to be in the next one and play a role in it and, and all that. Um, the fact that there's some story juice to help send him along certainly helps as well. But I like that as an answer that, you know, if he's the key to it all, it's going to be in universe it's going to be just a big accident that he was the key to save half the universe i think too people are so anxious to see the repercussions and the ramifications and that why i mean the, the word you use juice there i mean we we watch all these marvel cinematic universe tv shows we keep waiting for 
when will be the appropriate moment, if ever, that this is addressed. And then the films themselves and and how long and how much I think this is going to build up in people's minds. It already has in terms of the repercussions, you know, or are we watching uh, Daredevil sometime this fall and suddenly, you know, uh, Foggy's gone and, and we don't know where he is, you know, stuff like that. Uh, again, People are so keyed into these stories. Nothing like this has ever existed. 20 films. Okay. All of these TV shows, only two of which have, have gone the way of the Dodo to this point. Um, and, and new ones come at all the time, like with cloak and dagger, uh, last month. So yeah, I, I think they're, they're doing something right that, that people continue to come back and, and want to know even more so the fallout and the ramifications. Well, I think that this movie gives a little bit of a template to how the MCU TV shows might handle it. And I also wonder as a side note, you know, was this a, was this such a closely guarded secret that nobody knew about it? Like, you know, how does Avengers end? How should, how should we write that in? If only in passing reference, it was like, no, you, you don't get that. You don't get that information when you're filming cloak and dagger last summer. Sorry. Right. Um, but I think this gives a template, which is get the heck out of the way of the fanboy connection stuff. Tell your story. If we get to the end of this season of Luke Cage and there's some kind of placeholder like, you know, like, uh, oh, man, I just heard Wakanda uh, joined the UN, which I know that that presents some timeline stuff there because Civil War was right. like a year and a half ago. But if it's something like that where you go, oh, Luke Cage, this season of Luke Cage is like totally well before uh infinity war okay that, that'll be enough for me if we get to the end of cloak and dagger and they go you know again some other kind of thing it doesn't need need to be the incident we don't need to see people right. blanking out do i maybe have slightly different expectations for daredevil okay maybe at a certain point you need to lean into this thing but in the interim tell the story you need to tell and connect it back to the mcu later on as long as it doesn't come down to iron fist the dossier a detailed look at our bad guys. Let's start with FBI agent Jimmy Wu, played by the tremendous Randall Park. Yeah, he is wonderful on screen. Randall Park is the character. I mean, you feel sympathy with. He's just a, a guy doing his job. He also thinks that Scott Lang is guilty of the things we see Scott Lang doing. So though we're rooting for a bad guy and rooting against another bad guy, this guy's just trying to like make sure that the sentence is adhered to of the two years of uh, of house arrest or whatever the particulars are. And I think Randall Park plays him with that appropriate kind of, you know, sighing, you know, oh, oh, finally we got him. No, we didn't get him. I look dumb again. And he's just <laughs> he he he's a civil servant doing his job. He wants so badly to be liked uh, and to be likable. I mean, the scene with Cassie where he. He goes into the belabored explanation uh, and the, the metaphor he's attempting to make and, and how it just falls so, so flat. Um, again, his his comic talents, if you're not watching Fresh Off the Boat, uh, I've been a fan for uh, a long time. First time I ever uh, saw him was as Kim Jong-un in the interview, and I've been a big fan ever since. Worth mentioning that the interview and the cyber terrorism associated with it <laughs> and the downfall at Sony, all of which were unfortunate, and the price that Amy Pascal paid in terms of her job, that all of that contributed to getting Spider-Man in the right. MCU. So it's kind of right. it's kind of nice having Jimmy Woo here in the MCU. It's just payback, man. Yeah. It's hey, it's your reward for uh, you know, playing uh playing a despot that uh you know now we have spider-man back and uh hey here you go here's a bone yeah what randall park got paid 10 million dollars for this yeah it was a big thank you, you know? <laughs> but next on the list pete is sonny birch as played by walton goggins birch a uh, a minor iron man villain in the comics and walton goggins always amazing on screen even though he's always playing walton goggins yeah, just chewing up the scenery with a southern accent. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think I could have said it better myself. He, he plays himself and uh, the, the attitude, 
the scene that sticks out in my mind in this film is that first encounter with uh, with hope in the in the restaurant, um, and and then the payoff later with the truth serum of the shocking and and uh, many health code violations in the restaurant. Yeah, he's 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 a fantastic presence in the movie. Um, and dependent on Thanos and whatnot, let's just assume everybody makes it clear from Thanos and whatnot, you know, do we see a return for, from Sonny Birch in an Ant-Man three, you know, maybe I would certainly welcome that, uh, ditto with a return from Lawrence Fishburne, who in this movie plays Bill Goliath Foster, uh, and Pete, by the way, he gets the de-aging, uh, the de-aging magic as well. You'll never guess who played his body double double in the younger scenes though. No, who? Uh, that would be Mr. Langston Fishburne, the uh, the actor, the ballet performer, and the son of Lawrence Fishburne. That's pretty cool. Um, but I got to tell you, when I saw him de-aged in the flashback, I thought they were showing me scenes from Boys in the Hood. I saw Furious on my screen there, and it was uncanny. Uh, similarly, I was looking at it going is this Lawrence Fishburne in a wig? No, you know, or, or, and darker hair and whatnot. No, his face looks different, but his face looks the same. And the, the, the tooth gap is the same. And at a certain point you realize, no, this is just a flawless presentation. That's where we've gotten to in seven, eight years of fiddling with this footage here. And the villains in this film, I mean, two of which we've, we've put on this list between Jimmy Woo and uh, Bill Foster here, not, your average type of villains. I mean, Wu is a, is a, you know, FBI agent pencil pusher who's, you know, really there more so expositionally and, and comedically Foster is really there from an exposition standpoint and linking him to shield. Uh, and to think we're going to get a uh, Lawrence Fishburne to come on to ABC and, and guest there, I, I think would be a little bit of a reach, um, but the idea that it's a connection now that the show could eventually pursue in terms of the backlog of work, the missions that uh, he helped uh, Ava Starr as Ghost go on. Well, Pete, he's already on ABC and Blackish, so maybe the possibility of uh, of getting Bill Foster on Agents of Shield for for one episode for you know, I mean. Quick, let's 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 uh, let's send a car for him on his blackish off day and come on down to Agents of Shield land. Not impossible. If they were going to come on air sometime before uh, the summer of 2019, as has been stated, you know, and there's been some discussion. Maybe does that get moved up? They're on their normal production schedule, uh, though not on cycle. Um, be very interesting to see. Uh, and again, he's, he's got that, you know, uh, network affiliation. Um, but how about the idea that we know that Coulson is in, um, Captain Marvel perhaps as a way to kind of bridge agents of shield, Captain Marvel, the nineties timeframe, some, at least a mention of, uh, Foster and his work, if not an appearance. I mean, that's one way to do it. Another way, whether it's Agents of Shield or something else, it's him, you know, on the news network. You know, something that's easy to film and easy to plunk in the background, in the foreground, you know, whatever it might be. Who's to say, Pete? He, of course, one of the many baddies who isn't completely bad, who's sympathetic. And of course, we have to mention Ghost, aka Ava Star, who, you know, when it's all said and done, I think we ultimately are sympathetic with her struggle, maybe not sympathetic to her her means but you know kind of glad she stuck around to the end yeah and uh and hannah john came in here who i, I looked up some of her previous credits I, I had no idea she was in the force awakens matt um which wow. yeah yeah she was a first order officer there no doubt because of her british um background you know and, and shooting over there um at pinewood but uh, somebody who sticks around that we could return to. And I have to think, I mean, there's no announced Marvel slate, even though the belief is, all right, Spider-Man Far From Home will be next summer. 
after Avengers 4. There'll be a, a Doctor Strange film. There'll be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, there's been a lot of talk that there's been uh, interviews and pitch proposals on uh, the, the Black Widow film. Uh, but we have nothing official and definitive. And I have to imagine an Ant-Man 3 will happen and that it will essentially function much like this in terms of a number of holdover stories and characters from film to film. I mean, you're completely accurate in that who knows about the slate. I know that there was much uh, reminiscing in the last week from uh, the the Ant-Man cast and crew uh, regarding how there was not going to be an Ant-Man 2 until a month after the first one. So it was not one of these secret, you know, secret, well, get it ready and, and, you know, make the movie in secret or start to, you know, get pre-production going. Um, Maybe there was some kind of early, early pre-production, just hedging the bet, but nothing certainly official. Uh, I mean, same thing here. You would think with the solid box office and my goodness, Pete, with Thor Ragnarok lighting the way to remind people if you love these characters, then the third movie can be can do bigger box office than the first two. Um, to me, it all seems like a template to get more uh, more Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, and I I think there's certainly a, a precedent that exists for that. Time is gonna tell. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Let's start with Wu, Matt, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in the comics, a an FBI agent in this film, perhaps with a S.H.I.E.L.D. past? Great theory there, Pete, that if ever they need to dig deeper with this character, they can have that S.H.I.E.L.D. backstory, perhaps, uh, bring it from the comics to the uh, into the MCU. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a great actor. He's, it's a great presence in the film and somebody who you never know twists and turns. He can, he can show up in future stuff. Yeah. And I think in terms of the showing up, uh, Elias star who we see in the flashback was portrayed by, uh, Michael Cerverus. He of, uh, fringe fame and we did get a message from Greg Greer pointing that out and perhaps that because you know he's an actor who's in demand not just for his TV work but his uh, stage work as well might have been more of him that was excised from this film uh, perhaps to show up someplace else at a later date. Yeah, I, I mean, it speaks to the well-oiled machine that is the MCU that that they will cast as deep uh, as they need to for a star, for a woo. I mean, would the movie have been obviously worse if Randall Park was never up for consideration for it? No, but it makes it all the richer. And same thing, same thing with uh, with uh, uh, Michael Cerverus here. It gives you the option to do stuff in the future. As as you just mentioned, Pete, maybe there were meatier scenes that got cut, and that's just how that goes. Uh, but you make the best product you can each step along the way, and the movie's better for it. Let's talk a little bit about Janet. I was kind of surprised that we didn't have a little bit more of Michelle Pfeiffer here. But what is teased, I think, to great effect and mystery is this power that she's acquired as a result of being in the quantum realm for nearly 30 years and what she's been up to. Well, I'm a big believer that when there's crisis in a creative production that oftentimes can lead to good things. And some of the writing stuff in this movie, I wondered how much of this or how much of the first movie was improved, not just, you know, Edgar Wright, who I'm not a particular fan or hater of one way or the other, but I know some people swear, you know, that's an Edgar Wright scene and that's not an Edgar Wright scene. I like the Edgar Wright scenes better. Um, But how much was all of that and kind of an all hands on deck uh, mindset, how much did that impact the first movie for the better? And the fact that you had, hey guys, okay, here's our production schedule. Here's when the script needs to get done, but it's all blank pages how much of that kind of maybe gulp, you know, it was like, I don't know exactly what we're going to do. I mentioned all of this to say, 
in this movie, Janet's power is to make the villain who we're sympathetic to no longer villainous. The end. Now, did you cast Michelle Pfeiffer out of the blue? Probably not. Are there necessarily big plans for Janet down the line? I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. All due respect to Michelle Pfeiffer. It's not like, oh man, Pete, they got Michelle Pfeiffer in between her three Oscar nominations in the last five years and that killer run on Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, they got her? You know, it's like, what has Michelle Pfeiffer done lately? I don't know. Um, So I also don't know what their plans are long term. As I said, in this movie, her power is to make the villain stop. Well, Matt, in our original Ant-Man review, I had posited that perhaps we could get Janet in the sequel. I really wanted Catherine Zeta-Jones. Michelle Pfeiffer did quality, quality work here. I just think it would have been really cool given the way we've seen um, Catherine Zeta-Jones with a similar haircut to Hope in the first film. And then they went back with Evangeline Lilly and put the the wig on her in this one and everything, um, you know, it could have been neat, but there you go. I mean, it's six of one half dozen of the other, um, meteor perhaps Matt is when Scott is in the quantum realm, getting the healing particles, what can be glimpsed or what is thought to be able to be glimpsed behind him? Well, you told me to look for it, and I didn't quite see it, although in retrospect, I may have seen a thing that could be it. So why don't you name the it? Well, you can definitely make out Thanos's big purple grinning face um, behind him over his... Some other speculation as to what is seen... And there's not real great screen caps that uh, exist at this point, but uh, it's believed that we see Cap's shield broken, uh, that we see Hank uh, looking at Janet going subatomic, and then that we see Iron Man. Wow. Uh, I would definitely have to see the movie again, see some screen caps. I know one other theory out there is that it's Dormammu. I don't yes. quite get how, like, look, I mean, Doctor Strange did very, very well at the box office, and it's more recent than, you know, if we're going to bring back, say, uh, uh, Thunderbolt Ross or something like that. Uh, nonetheless, he was brought back, you know, extremely effectively. I, I kind of feel like if the thing that's going to tie this all together is Dormammu uh, versus, like, Scott Lang sees the image of Thanos as he makes his imprint across the universe, but not quite to the quantum realm. Like that makes more sense more immediately than Ant-Man and Dormammu team up to, you know, because <laughs> I mean, look, there is a ton of pressure to have the next Avengers film deliver. And yeah. the discussion you and I had on the drive home was, um, you know, there's a reason that Matrix 2 does not have a good reputation anymore. And it's not because of Matrix 2. It's because it's tied in with Matrix 3 that, you know, made a mess of the bed completely and retroactively took out both sequels. Avengers has to deliver. And that's why I don't think it's going to be Ant-Man and the Dormammu save the world. <laughs> Could they get their own spinoff? <laughs> Speaking, moving forward, Matt, and it's going to be some time apparently now till we even get the Avengers 4 um, title, even though it was at one point in the uh, credits for this film, it was changed to uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp will return, question mark? Uh I mean, it's interesting. There's so where the MCU has gotten is so far a field of where advertising used to be, you know, again, to repeat a conversation you and I had, uh, on the way out of the theater, uh, it just shows how great our conversations are that they're repeatable <laughs> for the podcast. You know, the best movie preview, the best movie com TV commercial I ever saw was watching the Super Bowl, was it 1994? I know you know what I'm talking about. 95. 95. I'm sorry, where, 96, 96. 96, yes, 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 96. Where there's there's uh, Bill Pullman and there's some other people and then the White House explodes and you just go, 
what just happened yeah. and then independence day july 4th and you don't know what just happened but you know that six months from now you're going to see that movie for sure they don't do that anymore with a six months lead time uh, you know period i mean yes there's some there's some press stuff and yes at d23 last summer they had an extended uh uh infinity war preview that we kind of got our hands on before it got yanked from youtube etc cetera, etc cetera. but the full-on advertising thing it doesn't start the way it used to so who knows i mean would would they wait as late as the super bowl for i don't know is that going to i don't somehow... think they will at all no no i think the the bigger question is when will captain marvel have its first promotional material considering that um Marvel Studios is not going to have a presence at San Diego Comic-Con this year. I think that's a good question, too. And I wonder, you know, do you then put the preview in front of some of this Disney slate of stuff coming out in the Thanksgiving to Christmas range? How about this, Pete? Maybe they promo it initially as not even a Marvel movie. Like, don't open with the Marvel logo. Open with, you know, like maybe you take a page from the Black Panther uh promotional stuff which was with its music and things like that was very clearly not not just trying to connect with the comic book audience or the audience at large but saying to you know the african-american audience that might not necessarily be the number one audience for a comic book movie hey this is a different kind of movie maybe same thing here maybe you do the entire much of the entire preview of you know aspirational woman pilot spy with shield what's going on and then comic book movie captain marvel a marvel movie you know maybe maybe that's how it gets promoted open the mailbag let's check the wire pete we have a, a bunch of tweets here first from andre yeager that's at dr polo dr polo 1983 uh who regarding the uh the box office info uh for ant-man and the wasp said too much competition incredibles and jurassic are still growing strong i think a great a great uh, observation there that there's a lot going on at the movie theaters there is and you know we've mentioned that before and i think this film will have legs uh people thought that Han Solo was dead in the water and it still wound up north of $200 million. So again, let's be very careful what we determine to be alarming as opposed to, uh, delayed. Uh, we have a tweet from Danny Hernandez. That's at whoosh Danny H who said diehards wanted that post credit for the previews, uh, that made the number so strong. The casuals haven't recovered yet for infinity war so i think <laughs> danny kind of positing you know what this movie might seem more business maybe not just week two week three which I, I think is what you were saying but also like whatever it might have lost a little bit at the box office it's going to make up for in home video it's interesting the diehard versus casual argument and i i think we were watching it with a decidedly diehard crowd um I don't know if Ant-Man is as casual a, a character, however. The, the film's going to be just fine. I mean, let's at the end of the day, they're going to film. They're going to film. They're going to finish well over uh, their budget. Um, it, like I said, will be in the, in the top 10, if not top 7 of the year at, at that point, and we'll see how they hold on. Matt, to Facebook, where Mary Kirk writes in, Forgot my phone at home, but my Wasp movie has been put in my eye holes, and I loved it so much. Most MCU sequels I have liked better than the first, especially Guardians of the Galaxy versus Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Come at me. With the exception of Iron Man, which the first was best and the next two were good. I like this one as much as the first, which is saying something because it was in my tops. I just love the family feels and fun of these movies. And that is what the sequel is. It is super fun. I smiled and laughed so much. My face aches now. Recommend five thumbs up. Don't ask where I got the extras. Now to await March 7th. That will be the Thursday movie before the Friday official day. Smiley face emoji. 
Well, five thumbs up indeed. And let's just keep it burned in our brains, Pete. International Women's Day. That's when Captain Marvel comes out, March 8th. Of course, the preview night, the you know, Thursday the 7th. But if nothing else, Pete, there's your easy marketing absolutely thing there and rightfully so can't wait uh another uh point of contact here from facebook matt andrew dawkins sent in hey guys i was able to watch ant man and the wasp last night great movie lots of action and funny as well it played out like a true comic book the post credit scene almost made me cry can't wait till next movie until then always make mine marvel <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was a, it, the wisdom in retrospect, the wisdom of that that first post credit scene. It makes so much sense because you spend the beginning of the movie wondering, well, where is this in the timeline and other things like that. Then you stop worrying about it. Then at a certain point you realize, oh, no, they're wrapping things up if they're going to address it. And then just even as that scene unfolds of like, OK, guys, don't forget, count to five, then bring me back guys where are you like it's perfectly set up mm -hmm. perfectly mm -hmm. done and you know we're we're all heartbroken but still smart enough to know something's gonna get fixed in the next you know between now and april right we'll see uh as i alluded to before greg gear sent us a uh, message to our fantastic geek facebook page he writes just saw ant-man and wasp and loved it just a fun superhero romp. One bit, however, kind of bugged me. There was some serious monologuing slash exposition from Bill Foster and Ghost about her origin. It slowed the pace down and felt clunky. Then I noticed the actor playing Ava's dad, Elias Starr, was Michael Cerverus. The man's a multiple Tony Award winning actor. And while not exactly a movie star, he's no slouch. It seemed odd to get him to play a part that was no more than a glorified extra. I wonder if more scenes were initially shot, but then replaced with the clunky explanation later. What say you? Uh, I mean, I know we touched on this uh, a little bit earlier. I will, I will add to it. You also don't know, maybe there's a personal connection there. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's friends with somebody on the production, whether it's the director, writer, et cetera. Um, I think oftentimes you have people who are who are veterans of the stage who don't necessarily get their due. So it might kind of be a win-win of like, hey, we get this award winner from the New York who does stage things. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, but we won't have him be Sonny Birch or Jim Paxton or a Van Dyne or a Lang. Uh, yeah, let's make him somebody else's dad, though. Um Again, he's he's great in the movie. Uh, I guess, you know, we'll keep our ear to the ground if there is, uh, you know, if there is deleted scenes. It's, it's a shame that movies don't do kind of extended editions in the Lord of the Rings style. It's probably because the best version of the movie gets put out there and, and so be it. But, you know, there's always the future, Pete. He can come back and flash back in the future and the past. <laughs> Pete, anything else there in your mailbag? Lastly, we had put out the call for reviews to our family of podcasts across 14 feeds now, Matt, uh, particularly since we'd suffered some digital vandalism, particularly the Marvel movie podcast by Fantastic Geek, on which this is simulcast, uh, got all of a sudden a number of one star ratings and of course no reviews because people who just mash that one star can't make words and uh you have responded dr strange lover writes in headlined best marvel podcasters five stars whoever left one star ratings and not reviews is clearly a hater pete and matt can't be beat their Avengers Infinity War podcast might be the best podcast review of a movie I've listened to yet. Can't wait for FIR. I think they mean for uh, can't wait for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Well, here, here you are in Ant-Man and the Wasp, at least in the <laughs> podcast of it. So uh, the, 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 the kudos going all the way around and everyone smiling uh, unless, of course, you were taken in Thanos' snap, then uh, we hope to see you in April when uh, somehow that gets undone. With that, Pete, how can people be in touch with you as we continue to analyze all facets of the MCU? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,030 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P, with the H, like it today. If you're listening to us on the Marvel Movie Podcast feed, my goodness, Pete, it'll be 2019 when that feed gets uh, heated up again, unless there's some sort of massive news that needs to get covered. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, no need to wait until next year. We'll be back um, tonight talking Luke Cage and throughout the week talking Luke Cage, Hook and Dagger at the end of the week, etc. as we continue to enjoy the MCU. With that, Pete, it's time for me to go down and get the health particles in the quantum realm. <laughs> I'll leave you to the final word. You can do it. You can do anything. You are the world's greatest grandma. <laughs> <laughs>